Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Songlit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. And I'm tenor Zachary Dean Smith. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So lit, so lit, reimagining the repertoire. Today we are talking about composer Hans Werner Henze, which I understand from some of your uh, folklore, Ellen, that you actually <laughs> knew him. Yeah, I actually got to do the world premiere, or maybe I should say the professional premiere of one of his operas, Gisela. Hmm. Um, something or other. It was a very long subtitle to it, hmm. but there had been a production of. I don't know whether they were college students or high school students, but it was not a professional thing. But at the Zempo Opera, we did the premiere Gisela. And then a few years later, we did his opera, We Come to the River. The title is in English. I believe it actually is also been, has been performed in English. It might have been originally in English. Mm. We did the production in German. I do have to say that the, the themes of that opera were very heavy. Mm. It was a, it's kind of a war and peace opera of a thousand people and everybody died. It, it was, it was pretty rough. Whoa. So very operatic, very operatic. <laughs> and it was, but we come to the river is basically about the people like during a war and there was a river in there and yeah, it was, it was pretty rough and the general was going crazy and there were three orchestras, one in a different spot on stage. So, wow. Yeah. So that was, it was extremely, complicated to put together but it was really interesting music it was obviously very powerful because i was having nightmares after a few weeks of rehearsals just from all of the music and the themes and what was going on it was very very powerful stuff and that's not unusual for henset is it he does a lot of political work with a lot of his music which i mean makes sense when you kind of think of his background and the abrupt left turn it took Uh, because when he was a child because he was raised in germany during the time period, he was a Hitler youth for a very brief stint, um, which then, <laughs> right? Lord. <laughs> which right. then, I mean, makes his turn towards almost full-scale communism all the more unexpected, but also entirely expected in a right. way. Right. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear, his dates are 1926 to 2012. He passed away in Dresden when he was there to come see one of his ballets that we were performing. Wow. Wild. So we had a very strong connection with Hans Werner Henze. 
That's fascinating. He, he One of the reasons that he ended up leaving Germany just after World War II, um, other than I can imagine the loss of the war and the state that that country was in, was because he knew, even from a very young age, that he was gay and didn't think the country was going to be particularly open to that at that time period, which I can't say I blame him for. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about a wild turn going from Hitler Youth to... Yeah, that yeah. that would be frightening. Yes. But I mean, on the bright side, he ended up finding a partner who he was with for, I think, 40-ish years I saw somewhere. A um, man by the name of Fausto Moroni. They lived together. Um, Moroni suffered some mental health issues that Hensa ended up uh, helping him through. It's just, it's nice to see that you can go from a place so dark to getting someplace where you are at least... In, with someone you love like that. Yeah, yeah. stable relationship. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So I know of his operatic works, but he does have some songs. Mm-hmm. We found two sets that we thought were really interesting. There's a set of fünf Neapolitanische Lieder, so five Neapolitan songs. And I want Zach to talk about the first one. <laughs> this was little behind the scenes, when Ellen and I got together to start recording some of these clips, this was the piece that we had to drill back and forth and back <laughs> and forth, because it is, it is a beast of a cycle. Uh, it's very clearly drawing on some ideas of Neapolitan songs and music, but only in the most abstract way imaginable. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Which is what Hensa does. Mm. I mean, he is well known for using serialism, 12-tone, atonal, all that sort of stuff throughout his career, exploring jazz, Arabic music, and you can hear a lot of that very nearly atonal stuff in the uh, first song of this piece. And since the first entire measure of it, or the first entire, I would say, phrase of it is a cappella, you're doing atonal music without the piano to give you any help. Italian, obviously, they're uh-huh. Neapolitan songs, so you have that going for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looking at the score, the one big difference between this and his operas is that in the opera scores, the accidental was only good for the actual note that it was on. So if you were doing repeated D and F sharp, it would have a, a sharp every time he played the F. If he was going, if he wanted you to play an F natural, he wouldn't write the natural, he would just write an F. So 
I found his, reading his opera scores extremely distracting because mm. of that. And this is much more the way I'm used to people writing music. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, like, it's an easier read than some of his operas, for the piano at least. But that does not mean it's an easy read by any stretch of the imagination. No. That said, it is interesting music that he's making. Even though it is fairly serial slash atonal, there is sort of a center that you feel yourself gravitating towards. You still somehow find yourself thinking of Neapolitan, like, Italian music. After all of the work that you do, where you process it and you put it all back, you find yourself at the end going, wait, I can sort of hear it. Um, which is a fascinating effect to achieve, and I think speaks to his mastery of the form. And I would liken this to Benjamin Britten in some ways. I feel like if you're going to see a Benjamin Britten opera or art song or song cycle, you kind of have to do some homework. Mm -hmm. And I think putting in a little bit of homework to listen to this Hensa will increase your enjoyment of it a lot. Yeah, agreed. When it, when it comes to the last song in the cycle, I would say for the piano part, it starts out quite simply and oddly enough, almost tonal. It gets a little chromatic, but it still feels much like we would expect it to feel from any other composer. When the voice comes in, the thing that makes this more complicated than, than it would be if it were just, if I were just playing quarter notes in the piano, for example, is that I'm not playing on the, on the beats in a lot of places. Mm. I'm playing the 16th notes off of the beat. So the singer has to actually keep a much sturdier rhythm mm -hmm. going through this than, than they normally would have to because I'm not keeping the beat for you. At least there's support there, like to find notes, but <laughs> then the rhythm is often <laughs> exactly <laughs> something I would have noticed as well in the first piece, where in the second half of that, once we start working together, it feels like three or four different vocal lines in different keys operating, but eventually arriving at the same place before departing at different times in different places. Um, there's a lot of independence within the individual piano lines themselves. Exactly, exactly. And here it's really that the piano is very homogenous with itself, but it's definitely not doing what the singer is doing. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So that is a set of Italian songs, Neapolitan songs. He actually also composed a song cycle in English. And this, I have to say, is a little more approachable. Not that I think that most of his work is. If it isn't, if it isn't clear already, these works are for advanced singers. There is not any young singers without perfect pitch and a lot of training who are going to even be able to approach these pieces of music. But if you have a taste and a hankering for this kind of music, it's worth looking at what someone who 
knows how to make a tonal sound interesting, it's worth looking at it if that's your cup of tea. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good point because it's definitely on you as the singer to make it work. To, yes. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this, the, the first selection that we wanted to bring to your attention from this set is called Rambo. Named quite obviously after Arthur Rambo. Um, he is a uh, poet um, and a sort of... A French poet? A French poet, I should say, yes. And a key figure of France during the sort of turn of the century. Well known for uh, for having uh, a friendship with Paul Verlaine, who is also a very well-known poet of the time period. He's much younger friend, it's worth noting. What was his big piece, his big work? Une saison en enfer. Une saison. Uh, a season in hell. He also did Impression shortly after that, his last collection of poetry, uh, Le Bateau Ivre, uh, The Drunken Boat, which is sort of his like declaration of what poetry should be. He was this firecracker of a 17-year-old who sort of shook up the poetry world when he entered it. And then, like, five years later renounced all poetry and went off to live in Africa. Like he said, I am done with it, which I think pretty clearly has to do with his relationship with Paul Verlaine. Um, the two of them had a very troubled relationship, <laughs> to put it lightly. Rambo was 17 and Verlaine was in his 30s, if not 40s. They spent about a year together getting drunk, enjoying drugs, writing poetry, exploring what it meant, and then it all ended with um, Verlaine shooting Rambo in the hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very stormy, troubled relationship, and we see that in this song. We see a story of a man who was hanging out, a young man who was hanging out with the wrong crowd for him, with people who maybe were taking advantage of him, and we hear him swear off of all of it to live a life that is less complicated. It's a thorny piece, but one that really feels like a perfect setting of the story of this very troubled young man. As you said, it, it goes with it so well. There's so much, there's so many sections to it, and it you get a poco meno mosso, a poco più mosso, a molto liberante, meno mosso grave. Like it, it's changing all the time mm-hmm. in order to give all of this sort of the feeling of un- instability, and also then the feeling of of him just the quicksand that must have been under his feet as a as a kid going through this. There's a line in the first half of it which says. But in that child, the rhetorician's lie burst like a pipe. The cold had made a poet. Which is such a beautiful illustration of what happened to Rambo. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So the last song in this set, this is a set of only three songs, is Lay Your Sleeping Head, My Love. You know, I 
jump for joy when I see the marking in the beginning of this piece that says, with utter simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize that it's hensa, so it's still... <laughs> it could be quite tonal, but at least it'll be simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he kind of lures you in, you know, because the piano and the, and the voice are, are following each other, and then, thanks. <laughs> right? I mean, but we started with a whole tone scale, which is really kind of fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I, what I love is when we hit the human on my faithless arm, we get this sort of, I don't, I want to say kind of a bell-like quality, but it's more like a suspension. You get an E against a D sharp that resolves to a C sharp three times in a row. So that kind of makes me think of like church bells somehow. I don't mm -hmm, know if that's mm -hmm. weird. No, and there's there's a few times where we're like clashing in the resolution in there, so that's that's also really fun in this piece, but there's also a lot more to hang on to than in other pieces. <laughs> yeah. I will say too, like when we hit the second page and we get in um when we get in my arms till break of day, that moment feels almost bel canto. Mm-hmm. Like you get this gorgeous this gorgeous feeling of, of floating on top of it somehow. Mm -hmm. Yes. worth noting that all of these poems were by W.H. Auden, another queer poet himself in the community, um, which I think lends extra weight in particular to his telling of Rambo's story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These are in two separate volumes, the Die Fünf Neapolitanische Lieder, and then also the three Auden songs, which is specifically in general, it's listed for tenor and piano, but as you can hear, it works perfectly well in a soprano voice. In the show notes, we will list how to obtain the scores. And as Zach said earlier, these are obviously for people with lots of experience. These are not for the faint of heart. Mm. <laughs> and these are definitely not for beginner singers. These are somebody that has some serious chops behind them and having perfect pitch would not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth noting that Neapolitan leader also have a version that comes with orchestra. In fact, that it is how it is default to be performed. So it is another piece where if that's your cup of tea, this is great for a uh, concerto, competition. concerto competition. Yes, yes. Musical clips for this episode were performed by soprano Tony Marie Palmertree, tenor Zachary Dean Smith, and pianist Ellen Rissinger, and recorded at Morningstar Studios in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of each month. 
So Lit, Song Lit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Rambo. Rambo. <laughs> literally, we did a whole opera on him when I was in CCM. We all call it Rambo. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit.